What's up, Beaver Nation? This is Mike Singer here of BeaversEdge.com, joined by senior writer uh, Brendan Slaughter. Uh, been a couple weeks since we've uh, recorded an Edge podcast, but wanted to get another one posted with obviously a big game last weekend with the win over Colorado, real shocking one, and now um, the Beavers have a lot of confidence and, and momentum moving forward, I feel like. Um, especially um, from what our fans on BeaversEdge.com are saying in terms of the confidence. Um, But one thing I want to start with is a discussion about expectations now moving forward. I I just worry that um, uh, Beaver Nation is now getting um, a little too confident. Um, I I just want to lay some expectations down. Um, so, so moving forward now, Oregon State's got USC, Washington, Stanford, and Oregon. That's a tough stretch of games. And Oregon State is a team that they played a really good half of football against Colorado. But in that first half, they looked bad. There was a 31 to th- it was 24-3 game at halftime. Then obviously Colorado came out and scored that first touchdown in the third quarter. But... I just let, let, let's just pump the brakes a little bit, you know, like people throwing out bowl game and stuff. All right, let's just calm down a little bit. This team still has a lot of problems, um, and, and I, I think that if Oregon State continues to play well, it's because they're gonna uh, pick off off the momentum they had in the second half and overtime of last game. Because I think that this Oregon State defense still has a lot of problems, um, and I think. In the game of college football, momentum is such a real thing that if Luton's coming out here and he's doing really well and he's leading the offense downfield, the defense just kind of picks up and feeds off of that. And I just wonder, will will that continue next week? Well, I mean, I, I'm right there with you, Mike. I think Oregon State fans need to pump the brakes a little bit. Like you said, it was, you know, let's pump it back. Oregon State's still a 2-6 and six football team that the week prior, you know, got absolutely blasted by Cal on their home field. So let's not put the cart before the horse yet, but there are a lot of things to like, you know, from this, from this Colorado win. And, you know, obviously it's a program changer, you know, you, or, you know, in terms of a first year thing for Jonathan Smith, I think it's a huge step in the right direction for Oregon state in terms of getting the monkey off their back, getting the ghosts of, you know, end of Mike Riley, Gary Anderson, Corey Hall off their back and ushering in a new era fully, Um, you know, all those kind of things. And this game against USC, you know, it's probably going to determine how Oregon State plays, you know, uh, or at least competes in their last couple games. You know, you look at this game, USC, it's after this Colorado win. USC has a whole host of problems right now. We can, you know, get into that later in the podcast, but just in terms of the outside drama, if Oregon State could ignore all that noise and come in and you know play good football and get a win, you know then all of a sudden you can open up different levels of conversation. But you know one comeback win, one Colorado you know choke, you know one thing or another, uh, you know it's it's just one game and you can't overreact to one game in college football. It is. A, it was such a huge win though. I, I, I we can't underestimate or no. Yeah. I mean. Believe me, it is a big win. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's not a big win. Just the fact that, you know, here comes a USC team that if they played like they're capable of, they probably would roll Oregon State. And, and I, mean, I they, think the Trojans are 16-point favorites right now, which I feel like is a pretty big road favorite yeah. number. No, I mean, 
USC's a, I mean, you know, Mike, you, you, you know, you know, the recruiting side of, you know, college football better than, you know, a lot of most. And you know, as well as I, you know, USC may be four and four, but if, you know, USC's got arguably the best and most talented team in the Pac-12 from top to bottom, when you're looking at, you know, rivals rankings and players and whatnot, and, uh, you know, they're coming in, you know, they've, you know, moved on from their offensive coordinator in terms of play calling, uh, fired an offensive line coach and, uh, there's going to be some razzle dazzle and some wrinkles. And like I said, they're trying to save their season kind of like, you know, Colorado said that was a big win for them to get over Oregon state to keep their season going. So we'll see Oregon state's got to come out and they can't have those kind of lapses like they had against Colorado in the first half or the start of the second half when, you allow a 75-yard touchdown run, or last time when they were in Research Stadium where Cal just took them completely out of a rhythm. So while we're here saying, like, temper expectations, don't overreact, um, what what if the Oregon State team, we see these next four games, is that second half of Colorado? Like, we don't know if we're going to see first half Colorado or second half Colorado. And when you look at the schedule... It's it's these these are four really tough teams, but then you you can look at it at the very optimistic side of USC's got a lot of turmoil. Stanford's not as good as they used to be, and the Beavers play Stanford pretty close. Washington's not as good as they used to be, and Jonathan Smith, yeah, um, maybe like how Brian Lingren had some offensive success playing against this old team. Maybe Smith will have the same, and then you have got Oregon at home in the Civil War. All bets are off. So there, there well, there's definitely two sides of this coin to look at. Well, I'm real excited about that Washington game because, you know, I've I've been seeing, you know, a lot of things, you know, Washington's come under some fire, you know, in these last couple of weeks and particularly this loss to Cal. And, you know, I believe it was one of the, you know, uh, Seattle columnists that kind of said, is it possible that Jonathan Smith was the key to the Washington offense? And it hasn't been the same this season. And, you know, Jonathan Smith's had that game circled for a while. Washington hasn't looked as good as they are. And, but the problem I see with that is that's back-to-back road games. This Oregon State team would have to, you know, summon quite a bit of confidence to get better from the team that we saw that, you know, just a week and a half ago we were talking about how they couldn't stop the run against anybody. So I, you know, I it's one game, and I kind of we, you know, we need to see that continued growth and for them to take the next step. If they take the next step and continue to improve and somehow beat the Trojans, then you can you know kind of get excited about what could happen. But. Uh, you know, that was a tremendously emotional win for Oregon State, and it's going to be interesting to see how they come out uh, against what's going to be a really, really fired-up USC team. I think we have to just talk about Jake Luton a little bit and just appreciate yep. the greatness that we saw for all of his um, struggles in the past couple of years, mainly with health, um, to see him get Pac-12 Player of the Week um, uh, for his offensive performance in the Rose Bowl Pac-12 Player of the Week. I thought that was just fantastic. Yeah. Um, 28 of 39, 310 yards, three touchdowns in uh, in the fourth quarter and one overtime series. He was uh, he was unconscious. He was just amazing. Um, I, I believe that, and I don't like to bring up Gary Anderson much, but I think that that is the quarterback that Gary Anderson envisioned when he recruited when he decided this, I want an air raid type quarterback because you know, Gary in, in that 2016 season kind of wanted to, he, I think he saw Washington state he was like, I want that kind of offense. I want to just throw the ball around. And that, I think right. that's why they went out and got Jake because that's what Jake did at Ventura uh, junior college. And I think that <laughs> Gary Anderson's probably watching Gary Anderson's probably watching that game thinking, man, this, that's what I wanted. Um, Jake was just, 
ooze on fire. And I, I'm, he's going to be healthy now, and I'm really looking forward to see what he does against USC. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I it was uh, funny. I actually, you know, jumped on a radio interview with Ron Callen of 620 not too long ago, and he was, you know, talking to me about Jake Luton. And, you know, there's this – he asked me if I was surprised, at, you know, how Jake Luton played. And obviously I'm surprised at the way Oregon State came back. But in terms of individual performance – you know, this is the Jake Luton that I that I you know have been waiting to see, and I, I he's shown flashes of the problem with Jake is he's never been able to have his health, a good offensive coordinator, at the same time. And you know, you've, we've saw it for two stretches, two games this year against Nevada and uh, Colorado, where Jake Luton was healthy and he was firing on all cylinders in Brian Lindgren's offense. And you know, we Brian Lindgren even went out of his way this week to say. What we saw against Colorado, that's what we saw when we named Jake Luton the starter coming out of fall camp. So, you know, injuries obviously are a part of the game. And, you know, Jake Luton has been, you know, one tough guy when it comes to fighting back through injuries. But, you know, any success that he gets from here, he's well-deserved because he's been through, you know, quite a journey uh, in his last two years. And uh, it really just kind of felt sentimental and special for him to get that win because he's had to work so hard for it. And looking at the pro football focus analytics that we have here at BeaversEdge.com, I wrote uh, the Monday Notebook, which is probably my favorite story of the week um, that that we do. Um, Jake Luton's stats when blitzed were phenomenal. And this, this is what I learned from pro football focus. Colorado blitzed Luton 17 times in in those 17, pa- 17 um, blitzes, excuse me, Luton was 13 of 16 for 150 yards and three touchdowns. He had an outstanding grade of 92.4. Um, that was his grade when blitz. That was that's insane. Jake Luton was the best quarterback in the Pac-12 over the weekend, um, and he was named um, to the Pac-12 um, first team all offense, whatever. Um, of the week this past weekend because he had the highest quarterback grade in the conference, according to PFF. Luton, so, and I, I don't think Oregon State's offensive line blocked very well. Obviously, we saw Jack Cleto get sacked um, so many times in that first half. Uh, and, and then Luton, I believe, got sacked once. Um, I, I can't remember, but I, I don't think Oregon State's offensive line did anything spectacular to block for Luton. I just think that he got the ball out of his hands so quick. His receivers were getting open. Luton was confident with where he wanted to go to go with the ball, and Lingren just simply called a great game. Well, Luton looked a little like uh, Showtime Patrick Mahomes out there with how quickly he was. I liked those I, no, I liked Aaron. I liked the Aaron Rodgers comparison, man, hobbled and just <laughs> gunslinging it around, man. Either way, either way, Jake Luton showed a lot of poise. Uh, there, like I said, there's not enough good things you can't say about the kid. And, you know, he, he went out there and he looked laser focused from the beginning. And as soon as he got a couple scores, you could just see it when the, you know, uh, watching it on TV, when the camera kind of zoomed in on him a little bit before, you know, a big third down or a fourth down. There was just nothing but cool, calm and collected. And, you know, I think that's a credit to Luton. And I think that's a credit to Jonathan Smith, who this whole week, a big storyline around Valley uh, Valley Football Center here in Corvallis has been that Jonathan Smith never gets too high, never gets too low, always cool as a cucumber on the field. And, uh, I mean, with the poise that Oregon State needed, the margin for error, Mike, was zero. Oregon State throws one turnover on one of those drives. They don't have the time to come back. I mean, the margin of error could not have been any slimmer. And, 
Luton did it, and kudos to the defense, too, for getting off the field when they had to. They they both, or the defense grew up in a big way, and Jake kind of ushered himself into that uh, starting quarterback the rest of the season, in my mind. You brought up the defense. I think it's really good to, to mention them. Um, in an article I wrote after the Colorado game, I, I wrote about um, a certain play that happened. So um, Colorado had their backs against the wall, drove down the field, and they had um, a, a th- I think it's like a third and six situation. Montez rolled to his right, hadn't saw nothing, so he rolled all the way back to his left, scrambled and picked up the first down. But Jeremy Reichner um, got through the gap and forced a holding call, which set yep. Colorado back at thir- like third and 15 or third and 16 instead of first and goal from the five. Yep. And Colorado ended up kicking a field goal, which is their only points in that second half. That was a huge play. I think if Colorado scores there, they go up 38-28 instead of 34-28, if my memory serves me correctly. So... The defense was huge. Other than that um, drive, Colorado did not even sniff the the um, the red zone or or the the uh, a touchdown, getting a touchdown in that second half. Defense was phenomenal. I don't really, I, I can't point to one specific thing that they did that was fantastic. I think the defensive line allowed the linebackers to play better. Uh, I think they yep. got more push. And Isaac Hodgins, shout out to him for getting his first sack. Um, I, I think Jeremy Reichner is giving this unit a big boost. Um, I think Elu Aiden's playing better. Um, I believe he didn't play against Cal, and I don't really know why, but I thought he played well. Don't look now, but the Oregon State defensive line is playing better, and Jeremy Reichner not, doesn't have any eye-popping stats, but I think he's giving this defensive line a good push, adds another solid body, and that unit's playing better. Oh, absolutely. There's really, you know, I mean, his impact has been there. Uh, like you said, I kind of heard the same thing about Elu Aiden just recently that he hadn't played against Cal and, you know, kind of something that the coaching staff kept kept quiet. And I guess we'll never really know on that, but he's played well, you know, uh, coming into the season, uh, you know, Tibisar, Oregon State's defensive coordinator noted that he wasn't really, he wasn't in playing shape, you know, put it pretty bluntly early in, uh, uh, fall camp and said he was going to have to work his way to being in the rotation. Well, it looks like he's done that and more. He's, you know, actually made an impact the last couple games and had a very solid pro football focus score. One of the most consistently um, positive beavers in the games that he does play. And uh, I think he's only going to get better in this system uh, and working with Tibisar. But more than anything, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, you could tell today when, when, or Wednesday, excuse me, when we talked to defensive coordinator Tim Tibisar and he, you know, walks up to the media and for the first time, you know, had a big smile on his face. You could just tell, you know, it, winning is a contagious thing. And, you know, he was telling the, as we talked about, the story about how the Beavers just kind of have to keep grinding and he keep, kept using the, you know, farmer with the rock in his field parable. And, it's it's really true. You know, this team, we know they had to learn a completely new defense and get rid of a lot of really bad habits that they still haven't fully gotten away from yet. And I think Oregon State ha- has really good coaches and it's just taken a lot longer than, you know, maybe originally thought just to kind of get those old kinks out, if you know what I mean. Brendan, um, after our um, or after Oregon State's games, um, you'll typically write a f- kind of a five takeaways, five things you learned um, from the game. If Oregon State beats USC, give me what your, just, just 
peer into your crystal ball. What what will be the reasons? What will be your takeaways? How how will you, Oregon State be able to knock off USC? Uh, turnovers would be big. Um, you know, regardless, it looks like uh, JT Daniels has been cleared, uh, so that's going to be uh, uh, something that helps USC's favor. So I think they're going to need to pressure JT Daniels or Jack Sears if they use a combination of the two. Uh, both young. Uh, true freshman quarterbacks on the road in a cold, you know, potentially cold and wet game in Reeser Stadium. You know, that obviously teeters in the favor of Oregon State. So turnovers would be one. Uh, second, Jamar Jefferson's got to have a big day on the ground. Uh, he's got to score, you know, a couple touchdowns. Jake Luton's got to keep the passing offense going. Um, Trying to think what a couple others would be. I think Oregon State's got to stay within themselves. Um, we know that USC is going to go with a lot of gadget plays. They're going to do some creative things. They're going to probably try some reverses, some hocus pocus this uh, with Clay Helton taking over the play calling duties just to get them jump started. So that's going to test an Oregon State defense to stay disciplined and on their assignments and not blow coverage on a you know trick play. So that's going to be key. And then lastly, special teams. Uh, it's as I mentioned, I think it could be potentially a wet and windy game in Corvallis, uh, depending on how the weather shakes out. And, you know, it's possible it could be a, a bit of a grinded out cold evening affair. So it'll be interesting to see how special teams plays into it, who wins the battle of field position. And if Oregon State could, you know, make those things work in their favor, they'd have a, they have a chance in this game. But USC, like we mentioned, a lot of talents over the field. And Oregon State will need to have a very good game plan to get by a very desperate Clay Helton squad this week. I feel like this game is either going to be USC absolutely blows out Oregon State, or this game is... Close. Yeah, very close. Kind of a 2016 Civil War feel, and it's just a real grinded-out game. Um, I think JT Daniels is going to be really good for USC, but he's... uh, He's a true freshman quarterback, and and Sears, you mentioned, I believe he's a redshirt freshman, but he doesn't have really any ga- much game experience other than, um, I believe, he started last week against Arizona State. So at home, at home, nonetheless, yep. where USC has one of the had one of the better home field advantages. They won 19 straight. So, reg- you know, JT Daniels has obviously made some tough starts on the road this year in the Pac-12, but they haven't necessarily been successful. So. You know, it, it shakes up a team when you, you know, you know, fire a coach midseason and then you take away play calling duties and basically make your offensive coordinator a glorified, you know, recruiter and, you know, overseer, so to speak. And, you know, it's going to be interesting. Like you said, it could be a USC blowout or it could be close. I mean, there's just a lot of outside drama kind of uh, working its way into this contest. Well, now there's a story out there uh, about how T. Martin – took down that he's USC offensive coordinator on his Twitter page. Um, so wow. I just think they're, I, I wonder what's going on in that locker room and, yep. um, and, and defensively, I don't think USC has been special this season. Um, I think that or state absolutely keeps it within 16 points, but also, man, this is college football. Um, who the heck knows? I mean, yeah, you don't know. Like you who wouldn't, would you wouldn't have expected Oregon state beat Colorado on the road. Nope. nope. No way. Um, so, so, um, Brendan, obviously you, you're covering the Beavers every day here at, uh, in Corvallis. Um, you're at Smith's presser on Monday, offense availability on Tuesday, defense availability on Wednesday, and then Smith's, um, meets with the media coming up here on Thursday. But what's kind of been the vibe, uh, in, in Corvallis, you know, obviously 
Probably the media is asking a lot about the Colorado game, but you know, looking forward to the USC game as well. What's kind of been the vibe there with the coaches and players you've talked to? Well, it's been positive, and that's been really nice to see. After you know, it was pretty, it was kind of somber after that. You know, that Cal loss at home that was really quite puzzling, and you didn't really know how Oregon State was going to respond after that loss. And you know, like I said, Wednesday, you know, um, you know, uh, defensive coordinator Tibisar was, you know happy and you know excited to come in and answer questions not that he always isn't but he was extra perky this week you know you could tell that Brian Lindgren was happy after you know squeaking by his former team and he was excited uh the players were excited but at the same token there was also a level of um you know just kind of like a stoic approach where they're all kind of like you know we know what what we did it was great and they were happy to talk about it but i think this team realizes they're still far from a finished product and i think that might be the difference from this team as compared to maybe uh, from the past regime where maybe players would get too high or too low where i think right now the team is embracing that same smith mindset which is just even keel all the time i mean you can take a look at the jake luton video from uh, beaversedge.com on tuesday Uh, Jake Luton, you know, he was asked about, you know, how he felt about Pac-12 player of the week and, you know, Rose Bowl player of the week and all that. And he said, it's a cool honor, but it's a testament to my teammates. I mean, wouldn't even talk about himself and defensive guys kind of the same way. Uh, They said they felt that they uh, are being labeled as the underdog in Reeser Stadium and they got to come out with fire because they know USC's, you know, Oregon State coaches and players were well aware today of the changes that have happened at USC and actively talked about it. So they feel ready from what I've been able to gather. And uh, like I said, it's going to Saturday's drawn a lot of intrigue following this Colorado win because a game that, you know, kind of looked a little blurry and maybe unwinnable a couple weeks ago. Now it's kind of like, well, maybe. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But the vibe is good around Oregon State right now. And that win was well and much needed for this team. Good vibes with the Oregon State football team. Um, I, I would say pretty good vibes with Oregon State Beavers football recruiting as well. Make sure to check out our recruiting nuggets that uh, yours truly posted on Wednesday. Some good stuff there uh, about official visitors and the Trayvon Clark decommitment, what that means for OSU. Will they take another receiver? Will they not? Um, some Just some good stuff there. Make sure to check that out. Oregon State basketball, men's and women's, um, starts next next week. Um, actually, the day of that Colorado game, um, the men's team had an exhibition. I believe they played a team from Montana and won by 50 points or something. And then the women's team plays at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Uh, and then both teams kick off their regular season next week. So that women's game on Saturday is an exhibition against Northwest Nazarene. And then the men's team kicks off next Wednesday and the women's team next Friday. Um, so I guess the kind of the discussion with both of those squads is men's team, do they have a chance to make the tournament? And women's team, you know, they're ranked number eight in the AP poll on Wednesday. How far can they make the run in the tournament? Well, I mean, you know, just, uh, yeah, real quickly, I mean, on both teams, um, I think Scott Ruick's women's basketball team, I think this team absolutely has um, all the tools to make a Elite Eight Final Four run. Uh, I have no doubt seeing that if they stay healthy and play their game. Um, I think this is Scott Ruick's perhaps most complete team that he's had. Uh, they have depth everywhere. They have um, talented players everywhere, uh, a lot of length, a lot of shooting. 
uh, yeah, it's it, he's got a really good group, and you know, obviously, we saw last week picked up a pretty big five-star commitment on the same day of the Colorado win. So a lot of good things working for Scott Ruick right now. Yeah, um, that was Kennedy Brown, a five-star from Kansas. Just looking at Oregon State's roster, um, this guard lineup. So you got Michaela Pivik, who last year was fantastic. Um, Aaliyah Goodman looked good as a, as a f- true freshman last season. Katie McWilliams, I, time really flies by. She's now a senior. Uh, good three-point shot. Cat um, Tudor, obviously, is a great three-point shooter. And you got Destiny Slocum, who's probably yep. the best guard on this team. That's five. Five ladies that who yep. are really good in the backcourt. And then the front court. a couple of true freshmen uh, really like. Um, Andrea Aquino and uh, Patricia Morris. Looking forward to seeing um, what they can do. Um, and then you have another true freshman in Jasmine Simmons, who is highly regarded um, from Australia. Um, so it's going to be a pretty interesting group. You know, Gian- jo- Joanna Grimick is back yeah. for another season. Tyra Crosdell is, is a year older, and I think she was going to be better, and she was a five-star recruit as a, as a high schooler as well. So um, yeah, really like I- the front court depth. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they roll with a starting lineup this year. And I know they got a lot of different pieces, but you know, you got to figure Destiny Slocum's going to be in there. You got to figure Michaela Pivik's going to be in there. Um, probably uh, maybe Pivik Kat- plays the three. Or I'm not, I, no, I'm sorry, Pivik uh, McWilliams. It's hard to say. You know, it depends on the lineups they want to go with. Either McWilliams, Cat Tudor, McWilliams, obviously the better defender. And then you know, you go four and five. You know, Taya Corsdale locked down that four spot as a true freshman and ran with it the whole year started yeah. nearly every game i figure her to be back and then center you know is, Grimek, or maybe is, throw out one of the two freshmen yeah, um morris gonna be, or aquino it's going to be interesting because i know scott ruick wants to move up and down the floor and shoot a lot of threes this season and with the way that he has now the ability with you know aquino and patricia morris who can hit threes if they need to um, he potentially has five positions now where he can shoot threes and move up and down the floor with a, uh, a great ball handler and Destiny Slocum and surround uh, her with shooters all over the floor. I mean, it could be really exciting to see Scott Ruick's group this year. Men's team, I feel like it's, I mean, you've had these pieces um, on that squad for so long uh, with, yep. with Tinkle and Stevie. Just, it feels like they've been around forever. Um, but I and feel like... Craziest- the craziest part is Trace Tinkle still not even out of eligibility at the end of this year. I feel like with this team, it was the same question as last year. What do they have at point guard? Is is the Ethan Stevie combo guard? You know, who, who's the point guard? Do you do you feel confident what they have at point guard? I do. I think uh, you know we talked to media day last week. I think Ethan Thompson's going to kind of take over that primary ball handler role. I think Stevie will still be on the ball a little bit, but I expect it to kind of be in Ethan's hands mostly. Um, and then, you know, you have, uh, him, Stevie, uh, potentially Alfred Hollins at the three and then maybe Trace Tinkle at the four and big G at the five, uh, still a little work in progress. Obviously, uh, they lose a little bit of depth with Peyton Dastrup not being deemed eligible this year by the NCA, which was, you know, a tough, a uh, tough one for the Oregon state, uh, men's program, but I like the depth. Um, they've got some really nice pieces. Zach Reichel looks like a completely different player this year. Uh, in his second year, he was the, you know, Gatorade player of the year in Oregon when he was from Wilsonville high school a couple years ago. So I really like his development as well. And then, you know, between Trace Tinkle and Stevie Thompson jr, you've got two of the better scores the PAC 12 has seen the last couple years. So 
I think Oregon State will be able to score. I think they have a talented team to exceed where they were picked in the Pac-12. But this team's got to prove a few things. So it's kind of like I'm cautiously optimistic about Oregon State basketball right now. One guy I really like is Jordan Campbell. He was, uh, yep. if my memory serves me correctly, he was a late addition, signed in that um, regular signing period. He wasn't an early signee. So Jordan Campbell could get some looks. I believe he's a combo guard. Stevie, I mean, he can go for 30 or he can go for like three. You know, you just don't really know what you're going to get with Stevie Thompson. Um, he, he can turn the ball over a good bit. So. Um, I, I, I don't, I didn't really like Stevie as a point guard. I just don't think that's his game. He's just a pure scorer. Um, if I had to compare him to somebody, I think he's, he's kind of like a J.R. Smith more, but more <laughs> of J.R.'s prime. Maybe yeah. he's, Stevie can't dunk it like J.R. used to, but, you Much know, better can... charactered individual too is <laughs> yeah. I promise you that. I promise you that. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going right on for, <laughs> as far as the floor skills go. Yeah. Sure, no, I know. I yeah, so I, I just kind of think, you know, you, you get some really good, and then you get some maybe not so good. So Stevie, right. um, you know, he, he's a good scorer. Trace, if he does start at the four, I think he's, he's obviously more of a stretch four. Um, but when, when when he gets somebody smaller on him, he, he does a good job in the post. Alfred Hollins is obviously a good kind of slasher and a really good defensive player. Ethan Thompson, well, I believe he was Oregon State's highest-rated basketball signee. Yep. Um, ever by a think. spot uh, or two over um, his brother. I think yeah. Stevie was the number fifty player in in the country when his in his recruiting class. I think Ethan was like forty eight or forty nine. You mentioned Reichel, um, Antoine Vernon. It was another late yeah. signee. I've uh, heard good things about him. Um, Jack Wilson was committed to Oregon State for like two years before he signed. Seven foot, two fifty five, good looking center. Warren Washington, 6'11", 210, so he's a little thin, but he could see some time this year. Big G is a staple on this team. Kyler yep. Kelly is a – man, he's listed as a forward, but he's seven feet tall, so I feel like he'd have to play. Yeah, tra- yeah it's interesting with Kyler Kelly. Trace Tinkle singled him out uh, on media day and said he really liked his ability to run the floor, and I've heard from multiple people that he would probably be the next in line behind G to get front court minutes at least right away because he runs the floor so well, can catch alley-oops and breaks and whatnot. He and shoot it. Uh, and I think that's what Oregon State wants to do. We've been talking, They've been talking about it for a couple of years, and I think now they finally have that depth to move up and down the floor. It sounds like you know Scott Ruick and Wayne Tinkle might have some similar philosophies this season in terms of getting up and down the floor and you know, getting a lot of threes might be a good uh, good winter to spend in Gill Coliseum if you're a three point shooting fan. I, I still just worry about the point guard play. I like I, I hope Ethan and maybe Jordan Campbell or Vernon can can be the guy to to push the ball up the court and not turn the ball over because that's been the Achilles heel of this team has yeah, been really. the turnovers. So um Brendan, let's uh, move back to football real quick before we end the, the Edge podcast here. Don't give me a score prediction, but um, what what are, what's your kind of final feeling about this USC game? It's just a couple days away. Um, are you feeling more optimistic or or pessimistic about the game? Are you kind of feeling a, a blowout in USC's favor, or you know? three-point swing you know here or there in in Oregon State's favor or USC's favor it's tough it, it is a really tough call especially coming off you know a team in USC that suffered a very emotional loss you know at home to Arizona State and then you look at an Oregon State team that got an emotional win and maybe 
maybe the most emotional way possible, given what they snapped, how they came back, so on and so forth. So with all that being said, there's a lot of emotion that's going to come into Research Stadium. You know, they got, you know, a lot of different things working into play behind the scenes. And that leads me to believe that I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be um, a one or two score game. Uh, like I said, it's still too early to, for me to say who I think is going to win. But I think Oregon State will be in this game and have a chance to be in the game late as long as they can do, you know, what I said earlier, which was, you know, limit their turnovers, make sure Jamar Jefferson's able to establish a run game and let Jake Luton do his thing. If they can do that, I think they can move the ball against USC's defense and put up points. And I think that would put pressure on Clay Helton and USC to, you know, really perform on offense with a true freshman quarterback. And when, if Oregon State could get up early, you know, even just a score or two um, with a good research stadium crowd and, you know, force a true freshman quarterback into some mistakes, I think that's how they, I see their path to victory. Will it happen? to be determined, but uh, Oregon State should be in this game if they're able to play how they're capable. I do expect a pretty good crowd. I think USC and being in town and, and the Beavers coming off a win will we'll bring in a good crowd. Um, you mentioned the emotion. I, I wonder, is emotion a good thing? It can be a really good thing, but like it could also be a bad thing if you're just playing on emotion. So we'll, we'll see. I, I do think... I think USC will get this win, but I think we're going to see a lot of positives um, out of Oregon State. And, um, man, just just getting that win over Colorado, getting the road um, losing streak off the back, Smith's first Pac-12 win, uh, it's going to pay dividends for the team. No, I I just think it's interesting. You know, you mentioned the emotion, and and the best example I can think of, and, you know, Beaver's Edge are probably going to love this, is when, you know, Oregon a couple weeks ago beats Washington in overtime, right? just uh, the highest of highs, right? They beat Washington for the first time in three years. You know, they got absolutely hammered by them the last two years. Then they go out and throw an absolute clunker at Washington State the next week. I think it was something like 30 yards, 50 yards total offense the first half. So we see what those emotional games can be if you get too high or too low. And I just don't think Jonathan Smith is going to allow his team to get too high, too confident, or even too low because, you know, he's a steady Eddie on the sidelines and, He's been here before. One good thing I want to mention, and uh, we'll end the Edge podcast with this, is gone are the days when Oregon State has a quarterback that throws for one yard in the first half. Those gave, th- those days are gone. <laughs> that, yes, thankfully. Jack Coletto, so. I think he had 35 passing yards in the first half, but hey, it's 34 more than Daryl Garrettson had in that Utah game a couple years ago. This is, this is true. That is that, <laughs> This is true. That, that, accurate, all of it. <laughs> all right. Everyone, appreciate you listening to the Edge podcast. Uh, we're on iTunes and Google Play and all that good stuff. Not really 100% sure how all that works, but I got it figured out after a year or two of, of running this podcast. So subscribe, follow, whatever you want to do. And um, yeah, thank you for listening to the Edge podcast.